Hey, I'm Michael Woodley, pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Take your Bible, and I'm going to give you a head start to go to the book of Zephaniah is where we're going to be today. And listen, hey, this is a no judgment, no shame zone. So if you got to use the table of contents, go for it, all right? Go for it. That's what it's there for, all right? But the book of Zephaniah. And i got to say, it is so good to be back with you for several reasons. One, I always miss when I'm not with you. Uh, I'm grateful for Justin Clark, uh, our campus pastor, our Fairbanks campus. Justin and I uh, swapped places last week, so I was out with our Fairbanks family, and uh, he did a great job here. Uh, And so uh, it's good to be back with you, missing you, but also for two weeks. I have desired to come and to write myself over what happened the last time I was in front of you. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you weren't here two weeks ago, there was a moment that is one of my worst fears to where everyone in the room is laughing at me and I have no reason to know why. I have no clue. Y'all remember that? Yeah, y'all were rude. I'm just kidding. Little backstory, I had shared a story about uh, a time when I was in fourth grade defending my girlfriend's honor, and I shared that story showing that if you don't know the whole story, it's hard for us to understand what's really going on in the same way that we don't fully understand always what God is doing. And so um, jokingly, I said, so what's the purpose of that story? And I said, well, now you know that I defended my girlfriend's honor in fourth grade, and I will defend my wife's honor, so don't mess with me. And then I said, just kidding. (laughs) What I meant just kidding was that was not the point of the story. What all of you jerks thought, (laughs) I'm just kidding was that I said, I will not defend my wife's honor. And Abby said, (laughs) she said, Michael, I'm not going to lie, I was real tempted just to grab my things and walk out. Uh, (laughs) I'm thankful she did not do that. But that was definitely a moment where y'all are all laughing. And I have absolutely no idea why you were laughing. And that is a lonely place to be. And so I'm thankful that I can be back and to right that wrong, I will defend my wife's honor. Don't try me, all right? So there you go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm wondering if some of that is like a, uh, like a, whoo, good, we were worried. Like, we didn't know. We didn't know if this was a fight or flight thing and you were running, all right? So good to know. But hey, today we are continuing our series through the Minor Prophets. And, uh, and today, another once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. How many of you in here, you would say that there has been a moment in your life where you have sat in a sermon on the book of Zephaniah? Raise your hand proudly. Anybody in here said one, two, all right, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for all but two of you today, all right? The book of Zephaniah. Maybe today you're wondering, what in the world, why in the world would we take time to go through this book that's only three chapters, we really don't know, but what, what is the purpose? Why are we taking time? Like, can't we spend time in the New Testament or the Gospels? Or, and listen, those things are helpful. And listen, 1 Corinthians is still coming, all right? We're, we're going to finish 1 Corinthians, but... Why are we taking time to do this? Let me tell you why we're walking through the book of Zephaniah today. Number one, this is the inspired and errant word of God. This is a part of God's self-revelation to his humanity, and it was God's desire as he would give his word for his creation that he would include this book in it. 
And so it means that it's God's desire that we would have the book of Zephaniah, which means it is helpful for us in some ways. One of the ways that it's helpful for us is that, as, as I've shared with you in the entire time I've been your pastor, but especially when we walk through series like this, is to remind you that Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Not just the hero of the Gospels, not just the hero of the New Testament, but this entire word is pointing towards the Son of God that would give himself for our sin. And so when we look at the book of Zephaniah, I believe that we're able to see what God was doing and how it is pointing us to the central act of all of creation, and that is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But also, and this is what I hope that you've been encouraged with over the last couple of weeks that we've given back into, or as we've dove back into the Minor Prophets, is that you've seen, that you know what, even in the book of Nahum, or in the book of Habakkuk, or as you're going to see today in the book of Zephaniah, there are biblical truths that apply to your life today. It means that I believe with confidence that the Spirit of God wants to take the Word of God today and to apply it to your life. That's whether you're a senior adult or whether you're a teenager in the room, that there is something from the book of Zephaniah that the Spirit of God can show us, maybe about who He is or maybe about who we are, or maybe an action step we need to take in our life. And so today, we're going to do this kind of survey through the book of Zephaniah. And, and we're going to see what God has for us, all right? Now, if you have that sheet and you're taking notes, right, the first thing I want us to understand today is to understand our main takeaway today about the book of Zephaniah. I think you're going to like this. The, day of the, 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 the book of Zephaniah is simply this. The day of the Lord is a big deal, and it calls for action. The day of the Lord is a big deal, and it calls for action. So as we look at the book of Zephaniah, let's begin at first base and let's talk about, as we've kind of journeyed through these minor prophets, let's talk about first base and the background information. What in the world is the book of Zephaniah? What is it about? Where does it come from? Well, look with me in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So this minor prophet begins like many of the minor prophets do and gives you some clarity about who this prophet is and a little bit of the background of who it is. What's interesting about Zephaniah is that Zephaniah actually goes back here four generations of his lineage where most minor prophets go too. Most people believe that the reason that he's doing that is because his father's name, as you see there, is Cushi, which could sound like a Cushite, which would be people from Ethiopia. And, Ze and, and um, Zephaniah here is wanting the people of God, the Israelites, to know that although his father's name may sound like an Ethiopian, that he is an Israelite. And so he goes all the way back to, as we see there, um, the son of Hezekiah. Now, what's interesting about this is that we see, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment uh, when it comes to the date of this book, but it tells us there in verse 1 that Zephaniah is prophesying in the days of Josiah. Now, what we know from the Bible is that Josiah had a great-grandfather named Hezekiah. And so potentially what it means here, if this is the Hezekiah that, that Zedaniah's, that his lineage comes from, is that Josiah, who is the king, and Zephaniah, who is the prophet, are distant cousins. Which means there's a chance that there was a close relationship there, which means that Zephaniah's words would have been straight to the ears 
of the king. So the name Zephaniah, it means hidden or protected. And when we look at this, again, it tells us that it was in the days of Josiah, which we know that Josiah reigned from roughly 640 B.C. to 609 B.C. So at some point in there, Zephaniah is going to speak on behalf of the Lord. Remember, that's the role of the prophet. He is the mouthpiece for God to God's people and to the nations. In fact, as we're going to see through here, we'll see several times where it'll say, this is the Lord's declaration. He's saying, this is what the Lord is saying. One of the things when people talk about the book of Zephaniah, and this is helpful for us as we dig into this, is to understand the context of what's going on here. Now remember, you have uh, the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north, Judah in the south. In 722 B.C., the Assyrians come in and they wipe out. They wipe out Israel in the north. Judah continues to remain. Judah has a period of good kings and wicked kings, good kings and wicked kings. And then you have Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, followed by Ammon, who were wicked kings and did evil in the sight of God. In fact, Manasseh, uh, on two occasions, would offer his child as a human sacrifice to Moloch, who was a foreign, a pagan god. And so these wicked kings have led Israel to a very wicked place. But it tells us that when Josiah was just a young boy, he comes to the throne. And then we see in roughly 621 B.C. something significant happens. They go into the temple and they find a book of the law. Most believe it is Deuteronomy. And they read the book of Deuteronomy. And what happens is there is a revival in the nation of Judah. There is a response towards the things of God. So I share all of that with you today to say that when it comes to the book of Zephaniah, there's some debate about when Zephaniah is prophesying. Is he saying this before they find the book of the law? And because of Zephaniah's words about God's judgment towards sin and towards their wickedness, that that is going to be a part of helping the nation turn back to God? Or... Is this prophecy coming after this happens in 621? And although there were some reforms, and although they were turning back to God, the nation as a whole did not fully turn back to the Lord, right? So I want you to understand that context of of when this thing is written and to understand what's going on in the nation. Some people believe that, that, uh, that Zephaniah is the last prophet. He's the last prophet to speak to the nation before they would go into Babylonian exile in 586, all right? So in a sense, potentially, this could be God's last words to his people who are walking in wickedness. It's almost like, parents, you've been there before, don't make me get to three, right? Students, you remember those days? Don't let me get to three. It's a moment of reckoning. And so it could be here that Zephaniah, as he has watched his people continue to walk in wickedness, he has finally gotten to a point where he said, enough is enough. When we look at the book of Zephaniah, a couple more things here on biblical, uh, I'm sorry, background information. The purpose of Zephaniah, we don't have time to read through it and work through every verse today, but the immediate purpose was to warn idolatrous Judah of the Lord's coming judgment. Right? That's the immediate purpose, is that he is saying to, the, to Israel, enough is enough. Enough is enough. You've continued to walk in ungodliness, and enough is enough. The ultimate purpose we're going to see here is the remnant. It is the restoration of God's people that turn back to him. And the central idea of the book of Zephaniah, hear me today, is the day of the Lord. Say that with me. Day 
of the Lord. It is the central part of the book of Zephaniah. Now, when we say the day of the Lord, what we mean is the moments when God steps into his creation, and oftentimes it comes in two ways. One, it comes in judgment, but in that judgment can also come blessing. When we look at the book of Zephaniah, in fact, when we look at other places in the Old Testament, the idea of the day of the Lord, it's kind of a twofold idea. One can be a reference to a day of the Lord, right? A day of the Lord. That can be a moment throughout God's history with his people where he steps in and brings judgment because of the wickedness of people, right? So there is a day of the Lord, and those happen at different times. We see that with what happened with Assyria overtaking Israel in 722. We also, are, we also know that what Zephaniah is pointing to here, a day of the Lord, is when the Babylonians are going to come in and take over Judah and take God's people into exile. That is going to be another day of the Lord. But there also is the day of the Lord. You hear the difference there? A day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has yet to happen. But we know that Scripture points to the day of the Lord, the day that is coming in our future, when God will come and make everything right. Injustice, wickedness, and evil, once and for all, will be punished. It will be dealt with. And at the same time, in God's heart of mercy and God's heart of love, with an expression of grace, there will be a remnant. There will be his people that have responded, that's been forever with him in his presence, enjoying his glory. So there's a day of the Lord that we're going to see Zephaniah reference. But there's also the day of the Lord that I do believe that Zephaniah from time to time is going to reference. He is going to point towards the day of the Lord. And it can be a real challenge to know, is he talking about a day of the Lord or is he talking about the day of the Lord? Let's dig in and let's find out. Let's move to second base and talk about biblical observations. What is, what do we find in the book of Zephaniah? The first one is this. The day of the Lord brings judgment of wickedness. The day of the Lord brings judgment of wickedness, right? So we see in this book that God has finally had enough. You may remember from Nahum where it told us about God's character that the Lord was slow to anger. We know from Scripture it tells us that he is patient and he abounds with steadfast love. But at the same time, we have to understand that even though he is slow to anger, that doesn't mean that he is going to step back and relent from handling injustice and wickedness. And so God has moved to a point with his own people and with the nations where now judgment is going to come because they continue to walk in ungodliness. We see a description of this judgment that will come with this day of the Lord in verse 2 and 3. Listen to what he says here. Listen to how strong this language is. He says, I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. You know, we don't really sing that praise song, do we? But you hear the strong language that is coming from the Lord. In fact, what we see him saying here, this declaration that the Lord is making as he's watching all these people walk in wickedness and live their own way and oppress others and walk in violence and worship false gods, as he's seeing this over and over again, the statement that he makes here in 2 and 3 is a reference to a reversal of Genesis chapter 1. 
that all that God did and was good, that God has become so fed up with the sin of the people that if his heart is expressing of saying, I want to take it all back. In fact, he's saying here in a sense, I'm going to take it all back. Judgment is going to come. If you look down with me in verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, we're not going to read them, but you can see what it was that God was getting so fed up with. He says there in verse 4, he says, I'm going to cut off every vestige of Baal, which was a false god. They were setting up in Israel these, this worship to this false god. He speaks there of the names of the pagan priests, along with the priests who were bowing in worship to the stars in the sky. The end of verse 5, even these same priests were pledging loyalty to, to Milcom, or your version may say Moloch. This was the false god that was worshipped through child sacrifice. So here's God's people. The one that God had delivered out of Egypt, that had sustained in the wilderness, that had given victory into the promised land, that God had provided for them over and over again in faithfulness. He had provided clarity of what it meant to walk in a way that honored God, and with that would come blessing. And here we see once again that they have moved away from the blessing and the providence of God, and they are moving towards living life their way. Finally, God just says, enough. Judgment is coming. Look at me in 12, 13, and 14. God says, and at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will not do good or evil. Their wealth will become plunder and their houses a ruin, and they will build houses but never live in them. They will plant vineyards but never drink their wine. Verse 14, the great day of the Lord is is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, then a warrior's cry is bitter. He goes on through the end of that chapter and explains what that day of the Lord is going to look like. But God has finally said, enough. My patience has run thin, and judgment for sin is coming. And we see here in verse 1, is directed towards the people of Judah, but it's not just the people of Judah. If you go over with me to chapter 2 in uh, verse 4 through... Um, through the end of the chapter, you see that God says he's going to bring judgment on the nations on the day of the Lord. For Philistia, and we see in verse 8 through 11, for Moab and to the Ammonites. In verse 12, to the Cushites. In 13 through 15, through Assyria and to their capital Nineveh. He goes back to Jerusalem at the beginning of chapter 3. So over and over again, God is saying, judgment is coming. Now again, that's... That's a hard message to hear, isn't it? I mean, I would imagine at this point right now, none of you going, this might be the favorite message that Michael's ever preached for me. This is so great, right? Because it's hard. And it's heavy. But hear me clearly. It's needed. God is unmistakably revealing to his creation, including you today, that God is not soft on sin. You hear that? God has made it clear to his people, he had made it clear to the nations, and he is making it clear to us today. God is not soft on sin. I mean, you hear in verse 12, the end of verse 12, he says, The Lord will not do good or evil. It's the attitude of the Israelites of saying, God is just out of the picture. He's so distant, I'm just going to do my own thing. It's the pride in their hearts. And even though God is slow to anger, and even though these are people that he has provided for and he has rescued and he has walked with them, he's not soft on sin. 
And he is going to deal with that sin. The day of the Lord brings judgment. The second thing I want you to see in observations of this book is that the day of the Lord calls for needed repentance. The day of the Lord calls for needed repentance. Students, I know it's summertime and you don't want to think about school. But sorry. Uh, (laughs) You know that feeling when uh, it's Tuesday and the teacher says, hey, test on Friday over unit two and three. What's the feeling you get in your stomach? Are you kidding me? On Friday? It's Friday. We don't take tests on Friday, right? But now there's that responsibility, right, of, oh, my goodness, on Friday, there is a moment that is coming where I'm going to be held accountable for how well I know this information. Are you with me? That's a bad feeling, isn't it? That's a bad feeling. At least for me, it was a bad feeling, all right? For some of you, it's like, no, let's go. Let's take the test. I'm praying for you, all right? So, so that moment is coming. Test on Friday. Accountability's coming. And then your favorite teacher, and if you're a teacher in here, I'm talking about you, right? Your favorite teacher says, oh, and by the way, when I say unit two and unit three, I'm specifically talking about this and this and this. And in fact, I'm going to give you a three by five note card, and you can write down on that note card whatever you want, and you can use that note card on the test. And isn't it amazing in those moments when you find out how small you can write? Are you with me on that? Right? Anyone ever bring a magnifying glass with them with their three by five note card, right? And what is it in that moment, right? There is a call for accountability because a test is coming on Friday. But in that, you see some mercy, don't you? You see some mercy from the teacher that doesn't have to do that. Well, when we look at the book of Zephaniah, we see Zephaniah referencing this day of the Lord that is coming. And we know, again, he's speaking about the Babylonians that are going to come in, and they are going to be a tool in God's hand to bring this judgment on the nation. But in that place, there's mercy. We see it in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. He says, gather yourselves together. Gather together, undesirable nation, Before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you, verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who carry out what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. The day of the Lord, it calls for needed repentance. I love what he says there in verse 1 and 2. It's a call to action. It's a call to action and it's a call to have urgency. He says, before that day gets here, before I come and I have a reckoning on the wickedness of creation, we see the mercy of God where he says, turn back. Turn back. Before, you, see, you hear the urgency there. Before the decree takes effect. Between this moment and that moment. Before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you. And I don't want you to miss this in verse 3. He says, perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. You see a picture of this 
is God would bring judgment on Egypt. And he would instruct his people to take the blood of the unblemished land and, and to place it over the doorpost of their house. And then when judgment would come through the death angel, that, that they would be covered because of that blood, would, would cover that family and the judgment that was coming. And the same idea here that in the midst of God's judgment on their wickedness and God's judgment on their sin, there is the merciful heart of God that invites his people to repentance. And in that invitation towards repentance comes with the promise of this idea of being covered, of being concealed from God's judgment. And so to God's people here, it was clear that with this day of the Lord that was coming, there was a call for needed repentance that they would turn their hearts back to God. The last observation is this. The day of the Lord will restore his people. The day of the Lord will restore his people. When we look at the judgment of God, we see without a doubt God's judgment towards sin as God is a just and righteous God and sin has to be dealt with. But we also see in the sovereignty and the providence of God how God will use judgment to accomplish his purposes. And one of those purposes is to restore his people. It's the idea of heating up the metal so that the dross comes to the top, the impurities come to the top, and in that place being able to remove that so it purifies the metal. And we see it here in the book of Zephaniah with clarity. Judgment is coming. There's an expression of mercy for, for God's people to turn from their sin, to turn from their false gods, to turn from their pride, to turn from their oppression, and to turn back to God, to seek the Lord. And in doing so, Look with me in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9, down through verse 13. He says, for I will then restore pure speech to the people so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with a single purpose. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. On that same day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you have done in rebelling against me. For then I will remove from you, among you, your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. And the remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will pasture and lie down, and nothing will make them afraid. You see, for the people of God, the day of the Lord is a gift. The day of the Lord is a gift because it reminds us that God is not soft on sin. And when we step into the mercy of God and we repent and we turn and seek the Lord and seek humility and seek righteousness, we understand that when we walk through those moments that God is using those moments to accomplish something in us that otherwise probably wouldn't happen. And so we see here, I love the universal nature of verse 9 and 10. Notice that he's not just speaking to the Israelites. This is a call to the nations. This is a picture to us in the book of Zephaniah as he had told the Israelites, listen, you are going to honor God. You're going to follow me so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. We see God's global heart for the world here as he says, listen, on, on that day I will restore pure speech. This is a reversal of the Tower of Babel where he confused everyone's language. 
But on this day, he'll restore pure speech to the people so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. And I love there at the end of verse 13, they will pasture and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. You see, the day of the Lord, it will restore his people. So that's the book of Zephaniah. Where do we see Jesus in it? Let's talk about third base for a second. Some of you, as you're listening to some of this language that I'm hearing, you're, you're hearing it through and through, and it's true. We see over and over again in the book of Zephaniah this understanding of God's judgment and in the same place, God's mercy. We see here in, verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. It'll be on the screen. So look at what it says. He says, To the one who has repented, it says, The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is among you. You need no longer to fear harm. On that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. Verse 17. This is beautiful. The Lord your God is among you. A warrior who saves He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. And so we see here, as Dr. Jim Hamilton would say of the entire Bible, especially the book of Zephaniah, that we see God's glory in salvation through judgment. God's glory and salvation through judgment. God is going to be glorified and then in the place of his rightful judgment on sin, he is going to be merciful. And as we see here in verse 17, that God is a warrior who saves his people. And so the gospel tells us that all of us have sinned and all of us have, have rebelled against God. And I want you to consider for a moment, right? We, most of us in here, 99% of us in here probably know the, the importance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we understand that when Jesus went to the cross, that he paid the punishment for our sin. But I want you, with fresh eyes on the judgment of God, to consider what that means in that moment. We hear God's verbiage here towards his people and towards the nation because of their sin. He speaks of the judgment that is coming, the reversal of Genesis chapter 1, because they continue to walk in wickedness. And in this one instance, to this one group of people, in this one moment, it points to us the reality of what the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant, that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want you to feel the weight of that this morning. I just told you that God is not soft on sin. And the greatest expression of that The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And that the wrath of God that would be poured out, as we see here in Zephaniah, that Jesus himself would be the propitiation. It's a big word, but so is mayonnaise, all right? He would be the propitiation of our sin. He would take God's wrath, all of this wrath and all of this judgment that we see in Zephaniah, this anger of the Lord, a righteous anger, God in his love for you, Say, I'm putting it on him. Because God in his love for you knows that you can't fight for yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't have a good enough spiritual resume. That our greatest need is our sin problem. 
in the clarity of Scripture that God is not soft on sin and he is going to deal with sin and that we can't fight for ourselves. But as the word says here, that he is a warrior who saves. We see the gospel here because it shows us that God is the one who fights for us to save us. And hear me today, I don't care where you're at, I don't care what you've done. But as you sit here and as you think about your relationship before God today, and for some of you, you sit here and you know, all I can bring God is my sin. That's all I got. Today, I want you to know that God loves you. And he has demonstrated that love towards you, that while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. And maybe you're in here today and you've been a believer for 30, 40, 50 years. And my prayer today is that your affection for the gospel would grow even more as you're just reminded of the significance of God's judgment towards sin. And he put the sin of the world on his son so that you could be rescued. Let's touch home base. Life application. Outside being reminded and finding joy in repentance in the midst of judgment and what's found in Christ, let me give you three takeaways for how this book can help us as we think about our journey. First one is this, don't let God's warning against sin always be about somebody else. No doubt the Israel's, Israel looked at the other nations and they saw their wickedness and it would have been real easy for them to say, oh yeah, God's going to judge all those other people. But as you look at the book of Zephaniah, what you find is that God's judgment is more towards God's people than it is the nation's. Man, it can be so easy in our own journey to see the sin of others before we see our own sin. Would the book of Zephaniah remind us that before we get on our, uh, before we get in our mind what everyone else's sin is, would we start with dealing with our own? Don't let God's warning against sin always be about somebody else's sin. Would you be willing to personalize, God, what sin is in my life right now that breaks your heart? Second one is this, the call for repentance. Simply what the scripture calls us to in chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord, seek righteousness, seek humility. That's a good place to start today. Seek the Lord, seek righteousness, and seek humility. Last one is this. It's to take joy in the restoration that God has brought in you. Take joy in it. For some of us, even though we may have been a believer 20, 30 years, we have a hard time when we think about our relationship to God. We constantly think that God is disappointed in us, that God is frustrated with us, that God is over and over again let down in us. Maybe for some of us that our picture of an earthly father, it, 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 it shapes the way that we view our heavenly father. But today I pray that you would be reminded from Zephaniah of God's heart towards his children, towards those that have repented and turned to him. Let me read you again, chapter 3, verse 17. And, and just as we sang earlier about the same God, the same God of Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 17, is the same God of today. It says, the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, quiet, he will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. Maybe today in your spiritual journey and your walk with the Lord, it's just been mundane. It has been for you. It has been a point of contention in your life because you think you're just always upsetting God and you're always upsetting God and you think God is just, just um, consistently disappointed in you. But today I would say that because of the hope of the gospel and because of the grace that is found in him and the character of who our God is, 
that it is our God that abounds with steadfast love. He abounds with steadfast love for you. That means he has more than enough. And and, and even in that, he has more than, more than, more than enough of love for you. And so would you walk in the repentance? Would you walk in the grace that God shows towards you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need, and I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104, and we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.